I'm Mary Byers, and this is Successful Associations Today. This is part two of my interview with Dave Lutz and Sarah Michelle from Velvet Chainsaw Consulting. Dave serves as Managing Director and Sarah as Vice President of Connexity. We're here to talk about what's happening in the association meeting space, so let's dive right in. How can associations plan memorable, engaging meetings on a highly reduced budget? The, um, the biggest thing I, 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 you've got to realize is that whatever you had planned for your face-to-face um, is not going to be transferable to a virtual platform. I mean, you, it, it, there's no such thing as people being able to tolerate an eight-hour day of back-to-back sessions. So it's a real, it's real figuring out um, and fine-tuning how you want to how you want to disperse that. And I think the key is really engagement. Um, where, where I'm seeing people really excited and I'm seeing people uh, having a lot of success is using platforms where there's a, you know, active chat box where you've got a chance to pull people, you've got the ability for people maybe to be on mic and ask questions. And you're working, uh, working with your speakers on that kind of engagement plan. And a lot of there's lots of ways to do this. I mean, you can record it, um, you know, and, and then, you know, like you're doing right now. And then you're, that gives you the opportunity to edit out where things are going to happen because, you know, right now we're kind of tolerating a kid running through the back, uh, you know, or a tech issue. We're tolerating that, but you know, by fall, we won't be, you know, by fall, we're going to expect things to be more professional, especially if we're going to charge people uh, for virtual uh, registration. So, that, that opportunity. And then you really want to bring your speakers back when you broadcast it live so that they're actively in the chat box um, interacting with people. And I, I've witnessed it and observed people in the chat box, you know, interacting with the speaker while they're watching the recording and literally saying, my God, I would have never had this kind of engagement if I had been in a room. I would have never raised my hand. I would have never gotten this kind of direct feedback from peers, people giving me resources and links. And this is the most valuable learning experience I've ever had. And, you know, and I go to conferences all the time. So I think there's a a really great way to do that. But that engagement plan has to be um, very much a part of what it of of what you do, if you really want to have that success of people getting that community and networking value. And there's a lot of creativity coming out of this. I mean, Another silver lining is I think we're, we're seeing such great creativity and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It's just really around, um, uh, you know, and I think there's sponsorship opportunities now too that are, are, are coming up for how can we engage. I have one that's, you know, they got, they're going to be sending out um, some kind of a virtual cocktail recipe to all the, re- all the attendees and then they're going to have this virtual happy hour. And, you know, there's just been all these ways and platforms like Zoom and, and then now we've got um, Facebook coming out with something with Messenger. I mean, there's a lot of those are, are very low cost. Um, so I think that there's a lot of creativity that start from, you know, what's in the best interest of the actual attendee, not the speakers, you know, not the sponsors, but what's in the best interest of them and how do we meet their needs, their learning needs, their networking needs, their community needs. And if you come at it with those with that perspective, and that's driving everything that you do, you, 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 won't, you won't miss. So you mentioned charging for meetings. What are you seeing people do? Are they charging the same as they do for their face-to-face? Are they charging less? Are they charging less? 
Well, there's, you know, there's there's definitely opinions in, in the industry that you can charge the same. Um, and those opinions were before all this pandemic. Um, so for the most part, we're seeing, we're seeing most of, most, almost everybody's doing it for free. Um, those that are not doing it for free usually have some CE component um, involved. Uh, so, so that's what we're seeing today. And obviously every, you know, every, every solution provider and consultant and, you know, professional speaker is, is doing all kinds of free stuff right now. Uh, so free is, is, you know, it's, it's basically what we're all competing against. Um, we do see, and we haven't, we haven't worked this through this as much as we want to yet, but we will. Um, you know, we've done a lot of sponsorship consulting for annual meetings, and we do believe that sponsorship is uh, very doable in the virtual model or um, what have you. And uh, we, we believe it's probably something um, that you want to have super simple, like two or three tiers uh, that are bundled and might include access passes. It might include uh, thought leadership opportunities. Um, uh, but what, what's, what's great about, you know, sponsorship is, you know, you, you, you basically are going to also give visibility before and after the dates uh, of the sponsor and the sponsors never been always about the live uh, attendees or the face-to-face attendees. It's also about all those people that aren't coming but care and are watching. Um, and so, you know, obviously that market's going to expand a little bit. So we do believe that you know, sponsorship can get more sophisticated and, and uh, that revenue can be driven here. Um, we have never, and we keep putting this in writing, never seen a virtual expo work. Um, and uh, there's a lot of people that think it'll work. Um, and we keep going out. I was on the phone with one of the leading expo magazine editors a week ago and asked him, have you ever seen one work? No, <laughs> me either. So we're, we, we've both seen a lot. And then here's another one that we're going to we're going to be writing about soon. This is a, a hypothesis. It's a very educated guess. We believe that the virtual audience is generally going to be lower level than the face-to-face audience, unless it's a special qualified VIP invite um, type scenario. But the people that we see that are participating in mass on, on a virtual scale usually are uh, slightly lower level than the people that would normally go to the face-to-face offering. That is a great point, and it's almost like you need a separate mm-hmm. offering, whether it is a, like you said, a VIP offering, a mastermind offering, a by invitation only offering. Uh, but again, going back to this opportunity piece, often I hear from associations they can't get the higher level uh, job titles engaged, and this might be an opportunity to create something online that does engage higher level. Yeah, it's got to be exclusive. And yeah, 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, in general, what have you seen uh, about virtual meetings? Sarah, you said that you had a a group that pivoted really quickly, was hoping for 1,200 or planned for 1,200 and actually got 1,350. I've been a little nervous, though, when I've been talking to clients and they think that they're going to get everybody who would normally register and uh, an additional an additional cohort that shows up. I think it's possible. I don't know that it's probable. And especially when you have a paid model, I talked to one that was actually budgeting for higher than lower. And that made me nervous because this is an untested theory. So do you have any generalities or has everything been thrown out the window because this is just all so new? I think it's all too new. you know, and most of the case studies we're all hearing about and reading about and that we're seeing with our clients, it's really all of a sudden I had to pivot and we did this and we did get good participation. You know, but it's the same as a webinar. You get, you know, you get 3,000 people sign up for a webinar and less than 1,500 people show up. And then, you know, if you're you know, some, some people are, you know, the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to take your annual meeting and just redo the same content virtually. You know, um, one, one thing we're, we're telling some of our clients is, you know, don't, don't let three, don't give people more than three options to do at once. You know, whereas in a live situation, you may have had 10 concurrent breakouts. We're telling them to go down to three or less. Um, and, and you're, you can't go for more than two or three hours a day uh, total. You just you know, do two or three hours, a couple breaks, you know. Um, and, and, the, and, the, and the content has to be completely relooked at, right? So what you might have accepted in your RFP, um, you know, four or five months ago prior to COVID is not even relevant anymore. So I'm working with, with one right now, and it's like they had everything scored and ready to go prior to COVID, and it's like now we got to put a lens on it. Because if you want people to tune in, it's like, do you know my reality? Do you understand my pain? How do I deal in this new normal moving forward? And the more relevant you can be to your members, the more likely they're going to be tuning in. Well, that's one of my curiosities as in the first weeks, as groups were pivoting and they were going online, but a lot of it was directed at COVID, I think there was a high level because people were looking for answers, they were looking for help, and they were looking for direction, they were looking for certainty. I think the further in we get to this, there's still going to be some of that. But if you're planning a fall meeting or an early 2021 meeting, I don't think the sense of urgency is going to be the same. And so I think we have to be realistic about how much demand there's going to be. Yeah. I mean, there's no question there's webinar fatigue, there's zoom fatigue. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with that and, and everybody's dealing with that. So I, I think you're, I think you're right. And I think that's where it's going to come down to, um, if you can deliver more on the community and the connection and getting people, because what people are really missing is that connection with people that are like-minded that are dealing with the same, um, problems they are. So that's why, you know, the more we can get, create a, create and leverage platforms and that really will inspire that kind of connection and putting like private Facebook groups, you know, again, that costs nothing where you move your registrants to that. And then there's special ways that they can connect for, you know, uh, and, and exclusivity. Um, 
you know, can be leveraged there as well. You mentioned something else that I, I don't want to skate past, and that is you're hearing feedback from attendees that that was one of the best meetings I've ever attended because the chat was robust, people were posting resources. So there is a place to capitalize on the co-creation that is happening in real time. So there needs to be a strategy to capture that, to capture your chats, to capture the, you know, the resources that are being put there. There is an opportunity to do an after, a follow-up. So, it, you know, a before, during, and after. How can you be meaningful before the meeting? You're doing it during the meeting. And then I think sometimes we survive the meeting and we're uh, just so happy to have survived. <laughs> we go into recovery mode. Yeah. And then we got to plan the next meeting. So we're not taking advantage of the, the new, basically the new intellectual property right. that everybody's co-creating together. So right. Talk about repurposing strategies or curating strategies. Yeah, I, I, I think the, um, you know, now to me, like the new gold is the chat box chatter. So um, I, I, I was on one recently where they, part of the follow-up was, okay, great, here's a link to the recording. Okay, great, here's the slides that were shared. And oh, by the way, here's the chat box. We captured the entire thing. Because I one that I was on, it was so good. I downloaded the entire chat box. It was 15 pages um, to go through for me. So that was, you know, how can you capture that and let people know we're going to capture it? You're going to get all this information following. But I think you're really right that there, some of the, I've seen a couple of really cool new apps emerge for this kind of co-creation and uh, ways to do that. And uh, I just don't downloaded one that I'm going to try out that's free. Um, so there, there's, there's just a lot of creativity right now. Uh, and people are birthing these, you know, uh, out of necessity. And, and so um, this is a great time to leverage. And I was on a call with a client that, you know, it, um, we ended up talking to one of their providers who's going to come up with a solution that is going to allow for kind of attendee uh, virtual and possibly who's ever in person or to virtual to actually have kind of networking calls together um, based on a need that you have. And, and it turns out, you know, their, their uh, provider who we didn't even think could do that is now able to do that. And, and so there's just like, just, I, I'm finding a ton of energy around, these creative solutions that are coming up. So ask, there's no, no harm in asking who you're already working with. And, and, and if they haven't thought about it, maybe you're going to give them an idea that they can jump on. Well, we had, we had one customer that, you know, they're, they're uh, all their board members are schools or school, uh, uh, yeah, the schools. And so, you know, we're talking to them about what, solution to offer and it's like won't you ask one of your board members if you can use their enterprise zoom account right and then you can do breakouts uh and and you know do round tables uh topical round tables uh with with that account and so you know you're looking at bootstrapping sometimes you have to look at you know who are some of your partners and who are some of your board members and what resources do they have because you know zoom's got a pretty most software like that has real favorable uh, licensing models for, you know, for schools in, in particular. Um, so, you know, so sometimes the solutions are, are there and then, you know, 
obviously a school would also have some good technical expertise because that's what everybody's realizing now too is that you do have to have you know you, you need an MC you need somebody that can be like a producer you need someone that can be a, the technical expertise you need somebody that can help coach presenters on how to present differently in that environment and I think what you've kind of came on the co-creation is really key you know and then you know when we do them in a small zoom room uh, you know break out and then bring them back together we we did a facilitation with one of our clients a couple of weeks ago and it went, it went really really well uh, we just sent them all to four breakouts brought them back and had a did a report out and it's like wow and it was actually actually they felt like it went better yeah. And had we had them in a room, which was the plan, um, because it was just, you know, that transition time of putting, sending people off and bringing them back, all that's eliminated. And it was just so focused that um, they actually felt like they got more done. I love your use of the word bootstrapping. Dave, because I think there's a lot of that going on, whether people know that it's called bootstrapping or not. Uh, but you're offering some great ideas here in terms of asking uh, partners that you currently have. They may be doing things that you don't know about. There may be some things that are close to being launched. Um, and again, you know, the collaboration piece of it, there may be a group that you can collaborate with and you bring something to the table and they bring something to the table. Yeah. Um, Dave, you touched on something important too, and that is needing to prepare speakers for a virtual delivery. Uh, so, Sarah, this question's for you. How can associations support and coach and train speakers to deliver online programs? And then how much content should they plan on? You know, I, I know that when I'm doing a virtual presentation, my approach is different. But not everybody who is, A, not everybody's presented virtually. Yeah. And, and B, not everybody does it regularly. So what kinds of things should associations be thinking about? Yeah, so it, um, first of all, you, it, practice, you need to have rehearsals. Um, you know, you, if you were on site with a main stage general session, you would be doing rehearsals. But I mean, with this, you don't usually rehearse for breakouts, but with with uh, virtual presentations, there needs to be a rehearsal. You need, to, everybody needs to be comfortable with the platform. Um, and you need to uh, really work with them on, on, like you said, cutting cutting content down. So if it was a 60-minute face-to-face concurrent session they were going to do, it's probably more like 35 minutes um, that they're going to be planning on content-wise. And then hopefully we're engaged. Um, you know, the speaker is, whether you record them and then show that and the speaker's in the chat box or you have them do it live, you have a virtual moderator who's not the speaker in the chat box, you know, plugging that and you work with the speakers on their engagement plan and the visual, your, your slides, if you're going to use slides, need to be much more image rich um, and less words, um, you know, use of music, use of videos, things that give the brain a release because just focusing on a screen um, is, is tough. And so when you can do things that shift the energy for the audience, that, that's really helpful. So it's really coming up with that engagement plan, thinking about, um, you know, some evidence-based education around brain-friendly virtual presentations, um, how to do that. Less is, is more virtually. Uh, and really planning for that engagement and, and get, the, get the audience into the chat box early and often, like right away. 
and then continually going there. And we like to say, chunk your content, chunk your content into five to seven minute bites. And then after each bite, there should be, you ask the audience to do something with what you just said. Talk about in the chat box, go to a virtual breakout room, um, do this poll, something. And then if you're planning to do multiple sessions, you know, you got to build breaks in just like you would if we were face to face, there'd be a 15 minute transition or there'd be a coffee break. You got to build those in. Um, and we're seeing some really creative things like bringing on somebody, you know, for that break that does some mind, you know, uh, relaxation, you know, kind of stuff. I saw one where the disc jockey came on and there was music, get up and dance. I mean, just, you know, really being creative and giving people those, those visual breaks, but, um, but less is more. Thank you. That's a lot, lot to think about and chew on there. Um, Dave, some associations represent people on the front lines, nurses, doctors, grocers, truckers, law enforcement. How realistic is it to even think that these individuals have the time or energy to consume content? I mean, if you're, if you're on the front lines of this, you're probably working harder than you've ever worked before and you're not sitting in front of a computer. So what advice would you give to those associations? Yeah, and we've had some of those clients. I mean, we've had uh, some nursing groups, for example, um, you know, who had, are making tough decisions on what to do. Um, you know, I think, I think what's, what's happening with most is, you know, you still need to show intent to move forward, um, you know, because there are commitments out there. Um, but there's, you know, usually most of those uh, organizations, you know, have have some CE or things along those lines they still need to get. And hopefully, you know, the, the, the frontline situation is not going to be as bad as it has been or is today. Um, you know, I think it's a good time to be a grocer. Um, you know, I know one of our, we we're just talking about somebody that used to be a client and now is with grocers associations. He's like, how do you call that one? You know, um, but, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we have seen cancellation letters uh, written basically saying, you know, not only early on, they were saying, you know, our, our people are on the front lines of this. And that like hymns, that was one of, you know, that was one of the, the bylines on hymns. Our, our, our attendees need to be where they are taking care of this. Um, and that was one of their things. So I think it is being used. Uh, as a as another reason for to to not meet uh, or to meet virtually, um, mm -hmm. you know, m most of our customers, I think they're they are they're in these areas. What they also are doing, like if you were to look at almost any, uh, you know, uh, medical society, you know, they are doing education. They're doing it around how to deal with, you know, the pandemic. Um, so they are delivering mostly virtual tips, pointers, articles, anything they can to keep their community engaged and help them go through this. You know, so I think the smart ones are still, you know, they're, they're putting out more content than ever, actually. Um, but they're trying to hopefully do it in a bite-sized way. And that's a really good point that you're making, Dave, is that it, it you know, a virtual, people got to get, get over that it's not just a virtual webinar. Is it not your only option here? So I can think of one of our clients who's in the behavioral health space that had to had to cancel their annual, and but yet their their people are on the front lines. I mean, mental health 
people are in crisis and the need has never been higher. And they're putting out not just they do, they're doing town halls, they're doing um, executive reach coach, but they're also doing like interactive white papers and they're doing, you know, kind of like daily briefings, like we're on the front lines in DC. So here's what you can count on. And just how can you get content out to your people and don't get stuck that it has to be delivered in this one way webinar format, but what are the ways that your people can consume it and get it out there as much as you can in bite-sized ways. And there's lots of ways to curate it. Well, when I hear the words bite-sized, I immediately think of social media. So we haven't even talked about social media or Facebook Live or uh, you know, a whole new host of, a uh, whole new way, uh, yeah. uh, things that are available to us now. And I, gosh, I'd love to have the chance to do a deep dive on that. But uh, before we end up with the silver linings, because I want to, I want to, end on a a happier note, but is there anything I didn't think to ask that you think would be helpful for listeners or that you have seen that's helpful to your clients that would be beneficial for people to be hearing right now in the association space? Um, I think, you know, one of the things that most of our clients have appreciated is, is some guidance on scenario planning. And, you know, we found uh, something early on, which was a, I can't remember who wrote it, but um, we we found a study that, or predictions uh, that, that, you know, kind of outlined three possible scenarios. And one was like a quick V-shaped recovery. The other one was late summer and the other one was more fall. And of course, most people think it's not going to be this year at all now. But, you know, I, I think the thing is, is that you want to, you want to have some, you know, some reputable source that you can point to and use to help set your guideposts for predicting what your situation is going to be in doing your scenario planning. And I think, um, you know, we pointed a number of people to this study and I think that it was really helpful to them in building out the models, but, you know, at best, most people are expecting at least half the people, uh, their attendance and exhibits and everything are going to be at least half the size, if not smaller in the fall than what they were predicting. Um, you know, and that's optimistic for most. I think that might have been conference board. Yeah, yeah, it was. I believe that's it. Yeah, it but was. I think that the the big point is, you know, find something reputable that you can use. I mean, none of us are, you know, economists or, you know, what have you. There's people out there that are making predictions and and setting scenarios, and we need to use you know, that smart intelligence to help, you know, guide our, our different uh, situations and scenario planning. Uh, part of the reason is it helps when you're working with your executive committee and your board. Yeah. So that when you go to them and say, this is what we're recommending, you have some backup and you can share with them that, that you didn't just pull this idea out of the sky, but right. you're actually sourcing and you're relying on other experts to yeah. help make the, the best decision possible. And the other thing I would add to that is the transparency. We mentioned it earlier um, in this interview, but uh, be, be transparent. And, and, you know, Dave made the point of uh, pick a date when you're going to go, no, go, no, go or no go and hold to it and, and communicate every two weeks. Because when we don't communicate to our members, people fill in the blanks. And knowledge is power. And so, uh, you know, rumors start flying and people just make assumptions. So get out and communicate and update your webinar, uh, update your page and say you're going to do it every two weeks and do it every two weeks 
And that uh, when people do that, we're seeing a lot less uncertainty and people are starting, you know, we'll trust the association that they're doing the, they're doing the right thing. That's an excellent point. Let's, as we wrap up here, let's talk about silver linings. I've made a note of a couple of them. Uh, we mentioned collaborations, that this may in fact make some collaborations possible that weren't possible before. Certainly the ability to experiment and have an understanding audience because everybody's in the same boat. We're all trying to do our best. We're, we're working on the fly, pivoting quickly so that there's some understanding and, and grace, I think, that, that probably will come uh, in the short run. I'm not sure how long that'll last. Um, but what are some of the other silver linings? I think the other two big, the other two big ones that come to my mind is, is accessibility. You know, so I think, you know, just this, what's happening today is, is helping, you know, make, I think, content and experiences more accessible to members than ever before. And, uh, you know, so hopefully uh, associations are taking advantage of that um, and, and reaching new audiences. Um, I think the other, the other piece, and a lot of associations need this, is, you know, it's going to force force many to be much more nimble than they are. Um, and and uh, I, I think actually the third I've heard is that, you know, this is a really good time to, you know, to take another look at your governance because any, every consulting gig we have has governance issues. Um, and, uh, you know, don't let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> the only other one I would add is I think um, a lot of a, annual meetings that we end up analyzing and, and consulting on, you know, are um, they need to go on session diets, right? There's like way too many sessions and, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, we always do this. So we got to bring this session back. Is it out? You know, and I think this, this is forcing us to really look at relevancy. What is relevant right now? What really matters? Paring that down. And I think uh, that's a great silver lining that I think, if, our, if we can get education to be so relevant to our members and be really clear on what's keeping people up at night, that's just going to, the value of your meeting and what, you, what it means to your members is going to go way up. So I think it's forcing, a, we won't, people, especially meeting plan. I mean, you won't be able to be lazy. There's not going to be a, we always do this. You're going to be like, what really matters? We've only got these three slots. Let's be really clear on what's relevant. So you know I like the word relevant. I know I'm you do. All about relevance. Uh, but I do think this is an invitation to question everything. Yeah. How we do things, what we're doing, why we're doing it. And I do think we've gotten a little complacent. And part of it is we're busy. So you finish one meeting and it's time to plan the next meeting. You pull the agenda out, you slap a new city on, you slap some new dates on, and then you pretty much keep it the same. Yeah. So one of the things that I like to suggest, and it'll, it, it's, it's going to be more now, but I used to suggest that meeting planners at least change up 10%. And I just called it the 10% pledge. Just promise me that you're going to try, you'll experiment with 10% of your meeting, 10% of your agenda. And, and this is true for anything, 10% of your programs and services. I thought that was a doable yeah. amount and, and we could get buy-in on that. Yeah. Now, we like to say, we like to say that number's going, yeah, that number's going way up. Uh, and, and it's, uh, you know, John Potter's first step in the whole change model is create a sense of urgency. 
we've got one. We have one. We have it. It's here. Yeah. So uh, sobering. But as Dave said, we can marry uncertainty and opportunity and come out stronger on the other end. So Dave and Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having us, Mary. Thanks for having us. My pleasure. This is Mary Byers, and thank you for joining us for Successful Associations today. 